People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Dr. Kurt Newman is the president and CEO of Children's National Health System in Washington, D.C. He has been a surgeon at Children's Hospital for more than 30 years. He is also a professor at GW School of Medicine and the author of the book, Healing Children, whose proceeds go to the Pediatric Health Opportunity Fund. Trisha and I had the opportunity to meet him recently at a dinner for Mark Hyman, who is also coming on our podcast soon. And what we know is that Kurt Newman is as kind and compassionate as everyone says. Welcome, Dr. Newman, to Health Gig. Well, thank you, Doro, and thank you, Tricia. It's great to be on this podcast. I've been listening, and uh, I just learn so much every time, and you just have such wonderful guests and conversations. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you decided to become a pediatric surgeon. There was no grand plan. When I finished high school and went to the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, I was going to study political science. Wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. So I guess the best way to say it is I went there with an open mind. I had an opportunity one summer to work in the hospital there, and I was just struck by the wonderful doctors, nurses, and how they could help people. And I, I got hooked. That went to Duke University Medical School, and I know they're rivals and all of that, but I learned to bridge that conflict and discovered surgery while I was at Duke, kind of, again, through an open mind situation where uh, I had an opportunity because I had a thyroid cancer and needed surgery for that. And the surgeon I met just changed my whole view of what surgery was all about, and I decided through that experience, I wanted to go into surgery doing my residency up in Boston at the Brigham and Women's Hospital. And again, through just serendipity and the opportunity to rotate at one of the great children's hospitals, I, I discovered pediatric surgery on children and pursued that. The next thing, I was able to get a slot to train at the children's hospital here in Washington, D.C. plan was to go back to North Carolina after I got that training. And I just fell in love with Washington, D.C., with Children's Hospital. I had a great set of mentors, and I've never left. And every day I walk in there, I just feel like I'm at home. And that's the way I felt the first day I walked in there. Dr. Newman, how long have you been at Children's National Hospital? Well, I came in 1984 to do what was going to be a two-year fellowship. And that now has extended to, I guess, almost 36 years. It's hard to believe looking back, I became chief of surgery and was just loving my career as a surgeon and had this crazy opportunity eight years ago to become the CEO of the hospital and put a lot of the things I'd learned being a surgeon and caring for patients and put that into place on a larger scale all across the hospital. Tell us about treating children and how are they more resilient than treating adults? One of the things about children and pediatricians, pediatric specialists, and children's hospitals is that you're not just thinking about the problem in front of you and finding a solution for that problem just then. They also think forward is what I'm going to do today. How is that going to impact that child or that family into the future? So it's really a multidimensional problem. So you come in, say, with a child with a broken arm. The orthopedic surgeon isn't just thinking about well, let's just fix the broken arm, but is thinking about, okay, what is it that I'm going to do today? How am I going to fix this so it doesn't impact the growth of that bone? Or how is that going to impact the child's ability to write or throw a ball? 
And that gets into the developing mind too. Maybe it's a four-year-old, an eight-year-old, a 12-year-old. The difference is there in the development of those children. And you mentioned resilience. There's so many ways to think about children and their resilience and how we can take advantage of that. Some of that is medical and biological, so that tissues are really, in many ways, they're programmed to to heal quicker and heal with maybe less scarring and all of these different biological ways that children are different from adults. They also haven't had as much damage, some of the tissues. Think about the sun and those kinds of things where you can take advantage of their ability to bounce back or regrow tissues. If you think about the mind and children, they are really resilient if we give them the opportunity to be resilient. That's what's so much fun sometimes to work with children because they're fresh, they're optimistic, they have this love of life. And in many ways, they just don't even know some of the negative things that we as adults are already internalizing. They have this fresh approach. So we try to take advantage of that at a hospital like Children's where you want to have art, music, clowns, a fun environment, and take advantage of this resilience. I truly believe that that helps healing. And people might say to me sometimes, how can you work at a children's hospital? It must be really depressing, all these terrible, difficult stories. And if you've ever been at a children's hospital, it's anything but. It's alive and it's fresh and there's colors reflecting children. So we want to take advantage of that resilience to help healing. It's almost like why hasn't there always been this attention to children and their health? In your stories, it just makes sense that there would be a different way to deal with children and young parents. Because as you say, it's not just the children, it's the parents that you're caring for too. In some ways, it's frustrated me throughout my career. And when you get right down to it is why I wrote the book. A lot of times I'd get phone calls from people I knew, friends. They were in situations with their children or a baby or something where if they knew what I knew, they wouldn't be in that situation. But there was no way for them to know what I know. So I'd help them solve the problem and say, well, you need to be in an emergency department that has the equipment. You need to be with a specialist that understands children and knows what to do with that. And I knew these parents just didn't have the insight to make those decisions for children. And I'd get very frustrated and angry. And the only person that knew that I was frustrated and angry was my wife. And she finally <laughs> said, look, why don't you just write a book? Get it off your chest. <laughs> At the heart of this book, and thank you for mentioning Healing Children, is really to be a guide to help families navigate a system that's very complicated. It's not really shared with them in the way that they can access it. So that's at the heart of the book, but it's through stories of educate people the special value and crisis value of pediatric medicine and children's hospitals. You know, why we don't focus enough on children? You know, that's a big question. I've made it part of my advocacy because I think you want to focus on your children. They're our future. Too often, the policies, the approaches don't reflect our needs to invest in children. So we have Medicare, which is a great health program for the elderly, but we don't have anything quite as similar or robust for children. We invest a lot more in research in adult diseases and not as much in children. When you're able to talk to people about it, they say, gosh, it makes so much sense. No, it really does. One of the things Trisha and I, of course, want to address in these uncertain times is COVID-19. What are the added challenges now at Children's Hospital? I think there are some specific dimensions to it that are important for children. One big silver lining, though, is that the virus itself 
for whatever reason, doesn't seem to affect children medically as much as it does adults. So we're not seeing all of the really serious, serious illnesses at the same level that we're seeing in adults. Here at Children's National, we are starting to see a few sick kids that are really sick, but not at the same levels in the adult world. I think a second dimension of it is the mental stress, that families change their entire lives and kids are not going through their normal routines and are at home and not in school and not seeing their friends. And we've seen an increase in stress and even in things as sad as child abuse because of the pressures on families now. And so we're trying to think holistically as we come out of this that yes, we may uh, have the medical side of this taken care of, but how are we gonna deal with all of the impact that is happening? We wanna be thinking forward about that too, about families and children and making sure that they reach their full potential. And don't let this be as incredible an experience it is, but don't be the defining thing for their lives. For children, if you were to guess why they're not victims of it, do you have any theories of your own? We have a big research institute that's starting to look at just that very question. And a lot of times people are now are talking about the microbiome and the bacteria. And is there something about the makeup of the microbiome of children and their lungs? Or maybe they haven't had as much lung damage. And so the virus doesn't impact that as much. Or maybe they've been exposed to so many viruses that they have an immune system that's revved up to take care of that. If you divorce this from that incredible tragedy that's happening right now, I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic that we're going to defeat it. And I think that's going to happen very, very quickly. And I think other things, we're going to be able to have vaccines that protect all of us. One of the real wonderful things, just looking down the line, we are creating a new research and innovation campus at the old Walter Reed Army Medical Center, which interestingly was named that after Walter Reed because he helped during another pandemic back during yellow fever, he helped discover that. So we are gonna have a campus there and two of our lead partners, one is Johnson & Johnson, who has the lead candidate for one of the vaccines. So they're gonna be our partner out there with J-Labs and we're gonna have a lot of companies focused on pediatric research working on that. And then one of the federal agencies, it's called BARDA, It's part of HHS, which deals with research into these types of things. And they just received a big appropriation. So we're really excited next year to be in on this campus with public-private partnerships. We're close to the NIH, the FDA, and just be able to tackle problems like this focused on children. Are there other centers like that, or is this something that you guys are leading the way in? In terms of pediatrics, we're leading the way in with a campus like this. And we've, uh, you know, stolen the playbook in a sense from some of the adult innovation campuses around the country. But we felt like, you know, we could do this for children. And we were able to get this land transferred to us from the United States Army. And they gave it to us essentially for free because they loved the idea that this land and these buildings were going to be used for what they were originally designed for. That is really exciting. It's good that the pandemic doesn't affect children as much as it affects adults, but you had a colleague describe trauma as sort of the pandemic in the world of children. You said in your book that trauma is the leading killer of children. Can you talk a little bit about that? My partner, 
Dr. Marty Eichelberger. He uh, saw uh, all of these children coming into emergency department in ICUs with different types of injuries, head injuries, all different types of trauma, and really started putting it together that this unintentional trauma accidents were the leading cause of injury and death in children. He got very frustrated. He created that mindset that, yes, this is an epidemic, a pandemic, but there was a prevention, and the prevention was the vaccine. So thinking about preventing the injuries was the vaccine that would then eliminate these types of injuries. He created something called Safe Kids, which is a nonprofit organization that focused on things like bicycle helmets or child restraints and all of these things. You've seen the impact of all of that work. It was a great way of framing up a real health threat and then how people could work on it and work on it at the grassroots level. Is it still the leading killer? Yes, but it's way down. And that's good news that we're not seeing as much of the trauma that we used to see. But on the other hand, it's still probably the leader in children. As you were talking, I was thinking back even when we were having our children and then back when we were children, there were no seatbelts. Remember, we were just like flying around oh, I in know. the third seat, you know, or climbing over. So it's great work. When the American people get onto something, they can get it solved. And, you know, I think that's true here in this crisis, too. Sometimes you just have to look to the kids to, you know, help lead the adults. <laughs> so I love all these videos of kids telling the adults what to do. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Could you tell us a couple of the most wonderful stories in your book? There were so many, but the ones that you like to talk most about or share, the folks in there that kind of changed your trajectory. And also, I want you to tell the story about dating Allison, your wife, because <laughs> I love that story. You know, there's so many heroes and heroines that I could write about or thought about or that are in my book. The one that comes to mind, who's in many ways the hero of the book, was a baby named Tyler. I met Tyler when I got a phone call to come to the operating room. I was on call. I'd come down to Children's. I was on one of my first dates with a, a young woman who I was really trying to impress. <laughs> and she was a nurse, and uh, she doesn't impress easily. But I didn't know that all at the time. And so when I got the call, I said, she was a nurse at Children's. I said, hey, do you want to go down to the Children's? This baby's on the way. They're helicoptering the baby to the hospital. He needs emergency surgery. And she said, yeah, yeah, you know, I haven't been to the operating room with Children's. I think I'd like to take a look at that. And I'm thinking in my mind, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to show off. So we drive down there. I get down to the hospital and, you know, I checked with everybody. It was okay because she was a nurse that she could come in there. But the mother of Tyler was still at the hospital where he'd been born. So he had been brought up there. His father was driving up there as quick as he could. But Tyler had a real serious problem that he'd been born with. Not to get into all the details, but it was very, very complicated. In fact, as I walked in and saw the problem, I really almost essentially forgot about Allison. So I just started focusing on the baby, what I needed to do. You don't want to do anything that is going to be irreversible when you're looking at a complex problem like that for this baby. You want to do just enough because you know you can come back in the future and you don't want to do anything that's going to compromise what you might need to do in the future. But it was so complicated that I remember calling my boss, uh, Dr. Randolph, one of the great surgeons of all time, Southern gentleman, trained in all the great places. I called him up. I was pretty fresh and new. And I started describing the, the problem to him. And there was a pause and he says, well, Kurt, I guess you're on your own on this one. 
And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that's not, you know, there was no internet to go find out what to do. My boss is telling me I'm on my own. So I called in one of my partners and we worked through the problem and did just enough to make sure that Tyler was going to get through this and then come back because he'd just been born that day. So I'm finishing up the operation and feeling really good now. And Allison's there and going to go out, tell her how everything went. And instead of that, I got this full-blown earful of, what were you guys doing? Nobody was paying attention to that poor little baby. When he needed his mother most, there was nobody cuddling him. And he was just born today. He needed his mother there. You know, and she was right. And it's something that stuck with me forever about not just focusing on the technical sides of the operations and what we needed to do, but also be thinking about the whole situation and what that baby needed. And, you know, that's the beauty of nurses is that they think that way all the time. That's the way they're taught. They come up through it. And I've learned to be successful in my role now as a CEO of a hospital is not only listen to the mothers, but also listen to the nurses. And you're probably not going to go wrong if you do that. Now, what I didn't know about Tyler, that I didn't know over the course of his years, I would be operating on him over 20 times. I just didn't know what life he was going to lead. But this kid was such a fighter and so courageous and just persevered and never say die that he got through all of that. So I didn't know I would be at his high school graduation. I didn't know he'd go to college. I didn't know he'd ever have a girlfriend, you know, because of all the operations he had. And not only did he have a girlfriend, he got engaged and then just married the most wonderful young woman, Jesse. And I was at the wedding. I've never cried more. <laughs> so sweet. And then to top it off, I got a phone call from him. And not only did they have a little baby boy, but he was completely healthy. And Tyler, you know that. And I said to Tyler, well, that's great. But, you know, when he breaks a bone, you know, <laughs> you need to bring him to Children's Hospital. <laughs> so that's the kind of champions and heroes and why it's just such a thrill to be able to be part of their lives and take care of them and work at a hospital like Children's. I love that because it says so much about you. And what I loved in your book was when you talked about the responsibility and the special function of a doctor in a community, and you obviously live that. You don't always find that. And can you talk a little bit about that? Well, yeah, that was really some role models that I learned from as I was coming along, both as a resident in surgery and then working at Children's Hospital. And I just saw these great doctors. In my mind, what made them great was a lot of their personal qualities and how they transcended their medical practice and had an impact in the community. And whether that was a pediatrician, there was a great pediatrician I learned so much from, Dr. Beal, who had a big practice and, and it's still going. He's got so much impact in the community. And there's hundreds of doctors like that, if not thousands. And you just see the impact and the relationships they have with the families that they take care of and how they're looked to for advice. And a lot of it's not the medical side of it, but it's just how to live life. And I learned that from my boss, Dr. Randolph. He would say, look, it's just not enough to be a great technical surgeon or do operations and, and understand the science of it, but you got to understand the people. And don't be afraid to become friends with your patients. And don't be afraid to take care of people that are your friends. And I had so many situations where the teaching had been, well, you know what? You probably ought to keep it distance because you don't want to get that in the way. And he had a very different view, which was that you should do that because the parents in this case would 
see that there's nobody in the world that's going to do more for their children than a friend of theirs. As long as it doesn't interfere with your judgment, that you're going to care. And in really intense situations, they're going to know that everything was done. And they're never going to have a doubt, even if you can't turn the situation around. And that happened to me where a situation where he told me that I should not shy away from getting involved with a really serious situation on some friends of mine baby because of that very thing. Well, I didn't learn until much later and that baby died. You know, we stayed friends. They moved along. When I wrote the book, I wrote to this family to ask them if I could use that story about and what Dr. Randolph had told me about. They'd never have another doubt. But I'd never knew if that was really true. And they wrote back after they read the story and they said, you know what, Dr. Randolph was right. We've never had a doubt in our mind that everything was done to save our son. And the fact that it couldn't be done, but that you were there doing that has always given us great comfort. And that was a real healing thing for me. So in many ways, you know, healing children, but this book was also about, there were a lot of healing things for me. One thing I learned, and I have to push myself on this all the time, is to put yourself in other people's shoes and to think about the experience that they're having with the doctor through the eyes of the child or the parents. That has just been such a wonderful lesson to keep, even though I have to keep learning it, about how I want people to experience our hospital, for example. So when I had just become CEO and I had this idea that I wanted to have at the top a doctor and a nurse as the leaders of the hospital. I just thought that that was going to really send a message. This isn't about a business. This is really about taking care of patients and putting the children and family at the center of things. And I'd worked with a great nurse, Kathy Gorman. She's now our chief operating officer. So I hired her back and we became partners again. We worked together a long time ago. And so we were having this town hall meeting. We were asking young people for their ideas and we were asking for nurses and just really wanted to get that going. This young teenager stood up because of his treatment and he was under treatment for cancer. He'd been at another hospital and he said, Dr. Newman, you're just not doing enough for us teenagers. You've got all these great playrooms and they've got puzzles in there and they've got dolls for toys and they've got this music and all of that. But teenagers, we have our own music. We need a pool table. We need stuff. Clowns are scary at that point, right? <laughs> of course, of course. We've missed that. We need not playrooms, but we need special rooms for teenagers. And I think that's what is so helpful about my own experiences is having been a patient and been in situations and then think about what was going on and from the patient perspective. And that, I think, is a really key quality in developing, a, particularly in a children's hospital, something that families can appreciate. I want to come back to one more thing since I've talked about our hospital. I mean, just the courage of people right now in working in these hospitals. We're testing lots of children. There's a sense that there's a virus uh, there and some of the children are sick. And our doctors, nurses, and it's not just the doctors and nurses, the women and men that clean the hospital are exposed to the same you know, worries and concerns and they've got families at home. You know, it's just a great time to check in with how wonderful people are. And we have restaurants that are calling us. They want to deliver food for the workers or we've got people sewing masks. And, you know, you just can't make this stuff up about how people, you know, there's just this wonderful spirit that's going on. And so there's a lot of silver linings here. As awful as things are, I think we're going to all emerge from this stronger. That's so encouraging to hear 
from you who are right on the front lines. And we appreciate you and all the staff there at all the hospitals. Trish and I are really interested in the health of the minds. And I know you do a lot with mental health and children. And can you talk a little bit about what it's like for families and how that goes with discovering and diagnosing and all of that? You know, it's such a pervasive issue, but it's underappreciated. A lot of that has to do, I think, that there's a certain stigma still to mental and behavioral health and issues around that. But it's so common and it's right there in front of us, but people just don't like to talk about it or share that the way they do medical illness. And that's certainly true with, with children. I think that's changing. You know, about 20% of children will have some type of mental or behavioral health issue during their lifetime. When I was uh, chief of surgery and I was being interviewed to be the CEO of, of Children's National, the board, who was the search committee at the time, they asked me, they knew that I knew surgery and how to run a surgery program. And I think they were a little worried, you know, what is your big idea or vision for a whole children's hospital? And for me, it came back to, it was around mental health and behavioral health. And my perspective on that was all the people that would call me and they'd have an issue with their child and they couldn't get help. They didn't know where to go or to find help. And as I started trying to navigate with them and for them, I realized just how few resources there were and how hard it was for people to find what was needed. And even other things like how little research was being done in that area or how few psychiatrists there were just for children. But it wasn't an area that a children's hospital had ever really seen as an area that they were going to take the lead on. And so I proposed that to our board and they loved that idea that I would have a vision like that to really change it's been one of my frustrations, though, with all the success we've had at Children's National, is that I haven't been able to push that as far and as fast as I'd like. A lot of that has to do with health policy and our business side of things and how things are reimbursed and how hard it is to raise money in that area, because it's just not the same as when we think about heart disease or think about cancer or whatever. But we are making progress and we're investing with some great partners and creating a different mindset about it, if you will. I've always thought it was not right for children with these types of issues to have to come to the hospital. It just seems so medical and not conducive to thinking about the healthy side of it. And I think there's also, we tend to lump things together. And if you take autism, for example, that I've really tried to focus on, it may be a thousand different diseases or problems that have all been lumped together. Well, that makes it hard to do research because it could be that we need to think very differently and specifically about the thousand that are lumped together before we can make progress. Again, I'm very optimistic that it's the next frontier that will be able to make lots of advances. I think the key to it will be research. And we need to invest more in that type of research. I think when someone first identifies that there's an issue with a child to the time that they're diagnosed, it's seven to eight years on average. I mean, think about all the things we could be doing during that seven to eight years to help that child and family and how much we could improve things by that type of early intervention. And we could avoid a lot of the things that we see later on in adults. I think that's a great way to think about just children in general. There's a lot of things we can be doing in research and interventions with babies or maybe even before children are born that will have long-term implications for those children. But also, I think, may 
have a big impact on adult diseases like cancer. So anyway, that's a big idea, but one of the beauties and great things about being in Washington, D.C., you can have big ideas and there's people that want to listen and can make change and you can influence their policy. And that's what I love about Children's National is we're the children's hospital in our nation's capital. And we have a chance to not only, as special as it is, taking care of kids and families that are here, but also impact things on a bigger scale. Hmm. You know, what's so clear, and you talk about too in your book, is how you ended up following your heart and your passion, right? There was a draw to stay with adults. There's the draw to be there in that more glamorous kind of practice, but you actually followed your heart. It seems that way now. I guess I was being drawn to what just excited me. And then there was also this luck of having great mentors. And that's what I tell young people that come to ask me. And you know, I frequently get asked now, well, would you ever tell anybody to go into medicine now? With I'm sure people think that I'm going to say no, all these rules and regulations and da, da 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 da. But actually, it's the opposite. I think it's the greatest. And I just see so many young, idealistic people coming along that want to pursue it. It really is about having mentors that can guide you along and then you see the possibilities. And so I had that when I was thinking about pediatrics and pediatric medicine. You're right, it wasn't as glamorous to what all my friends were choosing to go into at the time. And and in Boston at Harvard, it was, you know, not the leading thing to go into, but I found this whole new world. And for me it fit. You know, you also go back to, you know, how you were brought up and I had parents that were that way. And, you know, they were always thinking about new things and trying different things. And I guess it must have rubbed off. It took me a long time to admit that. Well, we're definitely all the better for it and just can't believe the leadership that you bring to Children's Hospital and the positive energy that you bring. It's just really awe-inspiring. Thank you. So, Dr. Newman, we ask everyone what book they think everyone should read, but I'm going to interject right here, right now, and say everyone needs to read Healing Children. Both Trish and I called each other. I said, that's the most beautiful book. So we recommend that book, Healing Children, by Dr. Kurt Newman, and the proceeds go to the Pediatric Health Opportunity Fund, which makes it extra special. But we want to know from you, what book do you think everyone should read? There's so many books. I'm an avid reader and I like history and biography. I do listen to your podcast and the book I picked up after uh, John Meacham was on, who's just an amazing historian, but I hadn't read it yet. The Soul of America, The Battle for Our Better Angels. It was just so reassuring and inspiring in this difficult time to know that our country has been through situations like that and just how leaders step up and the American people respond. I read it before this COVID thing, but there's lessons there as well. And do you have a favorite quote that you like to share with people? People have said the same thing in different ways, but Nelson Mandela had a saying, the true character of a society is revealed in how it treats its children. You know, being in the world that I'm in with children and pediatrics, it's an aspiration that I wish, you know, our society gets known and revealed by how we treat our children and by doing it in a great way. Well, Dr. Newman, we thank you for joining us and we can't wait for everyone to hear this podcast. So thank you. Well, thank you, Doro. Thank you, Tricia. Just a wonderful treat for me to have this conversation. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. 
I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well. <laughs>